Youth in Juvenile Detention Centers Still Take Science Classes. Let's hear about it on the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. Juvenile Detention Center, Lockdown Facility, Treatment Center. These are all different phrases for similar environments. And here, we'll call it basically what it is. It's prison. It's prison with young people, and these young people still need to get educated. My name is Pius. I'm an engineer and your host. And today I'm joined by Rachel and Casina, who've both taught high school science for youth in prison. What was it like? And what can we learn about science education from those experiences? Listen in next. I've got two special guests here because we're going to talk about a thing that I don't know very much about. Specifically, it's a good thing, though. It's a very good thing. It's um, teaching in prisons. Is that a great way to talk sure. about it? Sure. I mean, teaching in a secure environment. Secure environment. Yeah. Alternative learning institutions. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And Adjudicated youthful offender facilities. There's a lot of acronyms involved is what I'm already learning. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> big words. So um, listeners of this podcast have already met Rachel before, probably. Hi, listeners. And they might not know that you actually have a teaching background in one of these facilities, right? They might not. I don't know that it's come up so before. May- maybe you can talk about your experience briefly and then we'll hear about casinos. So when uh, – I'm going to try to make a long story short. Um, I – in the early 2000s, moved home to the, to, to the East Coast, uh, where I'm from, to help my mom take care of some family stuff and didn't want to hang around the small town that I was living in. And so when things were kind of under control, I just started looking for jobs, you know, in New York City, in Baltimore, um, Boston, a couple other cities. Um, but I really kind of wanted to stay back East for a while. Ended up getting a job in Boston, um, working for a nonprofit, and I was a science teacher in a, a, a secure treatment facility mm-hmm. for adjudicated youthful male offenders. And so what that means is they have committed some sort of a crime, and they have traveled through the court system, and they have been sentenced to long-term treatment. And usually this is... Um, uh, dialectical behavior therapy or cognitive behavior therapy, but it's in a residential treatment center because these are the kinds of boys and they ranged in age from 12 to 20 who did things like shoot cops in the face or sell cocaine to six year olds on the school property. Were they tried as adults or? No, that's the, that's the deal is they are, uh, they're sentenced to these secure treatment facilities um, as youth. Some of them did commit crimes that were so heinous that once they turned 21, uh, we call that aging out. Um, and some of them were then transferred to adult facilities. And at that point, they're not in treatment anymore. They're just in jail. We're going to get back to that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Casino... I was wondering if you could talk briefly about your experience teaching in in prisons. 
Right. Okay. So、um, I am pretty new to this. I actually only started last semester.、Um, I joined the adult education division through Austin Community College, and、um, I got placed as a GED teacher at Gardner Betts Juvenile Justice Center, which is part of the Travis County System,、um, juvenile probation. So I work with students who come to the facility for long-term、um, placements. Um, and they'll live there in the residential services for more than six months, many for a few years.、Um, they are all minors; they're usually between sixteen and eighteen.、Um, and if they end up in my classroom, it means that they come in and they've missed so much class up to this point that they don't have enough credits to finish、um, a high school diploma, basically, before、um, they get out. And so they come in, and we work to get them GEDs. So I.、Um, I'm working with them on all subjects, all levels. Yeah. yeah, and this is my second semester doing it. All right, so we got a, a range of experience here in and outside of Texas. So we'll start with Rachel, maybe, since you focus on science or focused on science back then. Sure. Right off the bat, I mean, you've taught in public schools、mm-hmm. and other environments. Yeah. What is unique about Teaching in a treatment facility. Oh, so many things. So the kids are very different. They come with a different set of skills. They come with a different psychology.、Uh, they come with a wider, I think, range of perspectives than what you might consider in a, an average public school.、Mm. Uh, they come with typically a, a, a different level of maturity as well, though. At、mm. least. Well, in the in the treatment center I worked in,、uh, a lot of our kids had been living on the street essentially, or been running in gangs basically since they were nine or ten. So they might be sixteen, but emotionally they were nine or ten still.、Uh, so coping mechanisms are always a concern.、Um, again, because this is. A major city with some major problems and some real inner city gangs.、Um, tr- uh, placement, you know, just putting kids into the right classroom、mm. can be a challenge because、mm. you have to find out if they have an outside problem with any of the other kids in the facility. Because if you put a kid from A B C gang in a classroom with a kid from X Y Z gang, there's going to be a fight,、so、and it's had, not going to be pretty. You, you had multiple classrooms, and you could、mm-hmm. decide who was going to work together. Yeah, we had、um, at the facility I was at. I want to say we had about a hundred and twenty-ish, somewhere between eighty and a hundred and twenty boys total. Um, and they were split across three different programs, and so we ended up、um, usually having classes of eight to ten, but we had you know about ten of them. And they, when I say ten classes, I don't mean ten science classes. We had ten classrooms, and there were ten kids per class, roughly at any given time. Okay, and since you only taught science, I presume <laughs> you had other colleagues who taught. You're the other subjects. Yeah, we we actually had two science teachers, two math teachers, an art teacher, and two English teachers as well. Right. So I understand that that's very different from your experience, Casina. What's yours like? 
Well, so this was all very new to me. I'm coming in with no background in STEM education um, and um, only limited work with um, high school students and all in foreign language. Um, so it's been a learning experience for me as well as for the students. But um, I have one classroom and it's always mine. So that's really nice. We have materials that stay in there permanently. Um, the students live in a building that's right next to it. I come into a separate building, and then they come in from the building where they live long-term on their unit. Um, and I have had anywhere from between two to seven students at a time. So one thing I noticed was that Rachel had said that she kind of had some freedom in how to group kids, for example. Do you work in groups, especially for science classes and even math classes? I feel like the trend today is to get project-based learning and hands-on stuff. Can you have group work and hands-on stuff in your program? Group work is tough if I try to split the kids up, um, but usually the whole class setting actually works really well. They'll keep each other going, and since I've only had very small classes, it's been really possible that we can all interact together, or their preferred preferred model would be one-on-one. -on -one. They would all like more one-on-one -on -one time, and that that's clear that in the beginning they resist the attention, but a couple weeks in, you can tell what they've been missing in their educational experience has been one-on-one oh. -on -one time with a okay. teacher. How can you tell that? Because sometimes they'll specifically ask you to just sit there and work through things with them, and they realize how much more they like doing something if they can ask questions and get mm -hmm. them immediately answered mm -hmm. and get the immediate affirmation of getting something right. Right. It becomes really important to them for you to know how they're doing. You know, this person who hasn't wanted to do any work and has skipped years of school yeah. suddenly will turn around and like yell across the classroom for you to hear that they did pretty well on a quiz they just took. Right. So that's that's different from other classrooms for me. That's interesting. And Rachel, you've been nodding. Oh, yeah, that's it's absolutely true. So. Um, the kids that I taught, uh, again, they just hadn't been in school. They were, there were tremendous gaps in their progress, in their transcript, just they're all over the place. And because they're sentenced anywhere from two months to two years, I don't know how long necessarily they'll be there, what they'll be able to participate in. And they know that and they know where they were in the public school or what they used to say is, I know where I was on the out. Um, and they'll try to, you know, catch you up to speed with where they were and what they were working on last. And when you have that information, you're able to work with them a little more one on one and they love that and they thrive under that and they will work so much harder when they realize or when you can demonstrate to them as an adult, I'm here for you. I want you to succeed. I'm going to give you some of those tools. It, it, they, I don't know. They just really, they recognize that you're being authentic, that you are invested in their success. And they will say, can you come sit and just help me through it? I mean, they say it in their own way, but that's what they want. They are working through it, but they sometimes just need a, a pat on the back, a yes, you got this, or some, um, you know, some more questioning, elicit the the responses from them. Mm -hmm. And they, they do, they dig it, they thrive on it, they do better and better and more and more. Would you say that's different from like any kid or is this something that's more pronounced, I guess, in, in a detention center? I think it's more pronounced. And 
Because they've lacked it, kind of like what I, yeah. I wonder how much of it comes not just from a place of look at me being successful educationally, but look at me having a, a good rapport with another human being. At sure. least for my kids, so you're not just teaching science. I mean, you are, but you're teaching social skills, social skills, the positive ability to human interactions, trust. A lot yes. of it's trust. Yeah. You can trust me that all I care about is you learning these things and I will keep forcing you to learn it. I mean, I think to a certain extent, I have students who like when I get exasperated because <laughs> I won't let them get off task. Uh-huh. And there's sort of this playful banter where he's like, I'm not going to do anything, Like, but I need you to do this. Why? Because you need to work on math. What if I want to do this? First, you have to do the math, you know, and then the <laughs> next day it's the same thing and we work on the math. And I think, you know, they resent it or they get tired or bored, but they also appreciate that you're not going to quit that I still want you to do this math and it's the only thing I want from you is your success. Is that challenging to like face that um, playful resistance or? I mean, there are some times when it feels just like dealing with what I imagine dealing with any teenager is like where it's exhausting, right? On a certain level, but... Um, but there's also that, that rewarding feeling when you realize how much they enjoy just this interaction, yeah. right? And knowing that they can rely on you to always take the same role. I'm going to keep insisting that you do this work. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep believing that you will succeed mm-hmm. and, and just not giving up on that. No matter, no matter how much they, they, you know, want to put their head down or really? draw or just not pay attention. I think you, I think you absolutely nailed it. And, I can think of a couple of specific examples. It didn't happen in my classroom, but it happened in a couple of other teachers' classrooms where they they would get so exasperated that they would give up on that one student, and then that student never, ever responds to that educator again. I mean, they're just like, no, you want to give up on me? Forget it. Like in prison, or you're talking about just any? Well, I, I've seen it. I've seen it happen in public school for sure. Uh, um, absolutely, but as, especially in this environment, it's so important when that kid sees that level of consistency and commitment and trust and authenticity from an adult that my expectations of your success are not going away. You can be successful and you will be successful because it's my job to help make you successful. And then if you fight, if they fight you and you give up that fight, they're done with you. Like the way you describe it, I'm like, I don't know if I could do it. Like, <laughs> how, how do you get that? No, um, they're sweet. I don't know. Oh, I mean, okay. they're criminals. But I they're think sweet, right? The way that it's been working for me with my new students, they come in and they're sort of this like trial period, and they're very, very quiet in mm-hmm. this time, and and there's you know there's not a lot of opening up, and and then the first thing usually happens, we start we start off with a lot of tests. We do baseline mm-hmm. tests, and then mm-hmm. progress tests, and then we do tests in different subjects to figure out what we need to work on. Right? Usually, it's not so much how far behind they are, but where are the gaps, right? There are just okay. whole subjects that'll be missing. They're doing great on algebra, but no geometry, something mm-hmm. like that, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have to figure out what those are. And the way that usually looks is a really bad test. And so that's usually my first opportunity to explain to them what I expect, that I'm not disappointed in them, that this has nothing to do with how smart they are. This is what they're missing. This is what we're going to focus on. This is what I'm going to make them do every day until they pass it. Yeah. And then they can pass the test, right? And it's just that sort of mentality. Because every day is like, nope, we're just here building up everything you know. 
and I'm just going to keep doing it every day, sort of that understanding. And then there comes a time when they get tired of it. The first time they say they don't want to do anything. They just want to put their head down. They don't want to, you know, or they're just going to leave. They're never going to come back to this class. Mm-hmm. And instead of freaking out or bargaining with them, I just say, yes, you are. You're going to come back and you're going to do this math. <laughs> and at the end of the week, you're going to pass the test. And that, you know, and just that sort of consistency yeah the consistency solidness or something yeah it sounds like and never never i guess when they realize that there's really nothing else that you want from them and that they don't have anything else to use there's no there is no bargaining i believe in you you're here to learn you're gonna learn i know you can learn and i can keep saying this for days and days (laughs) and days right and there's and then i think there's this reliability so it sounds like you as teachers you have to have some level of patience which might be more than the average person or something you develop. I don't know. Well, I think it's, I mean, it's different. So first of all, you're not dealing with 170 kids right. on okay. your caseload. Right. You right. have 60. You have smaller classes. Maybe. In yeah. You have okay. fewer kids overall. You have smaller classes and they, the, just the expectations are different. There is no other agenda, I think is kind of what, what Casino was saying that, I am here to teach and you are here to learn. I expect that you will learn and you can rely on me to teach. And that's, that really is all there is. So there is no bargaining. There's no, um, because you're limited by safety constraints and things like that. There's also not a lot of, um, that external like socialization and, uh, you know, like you said, project based learning is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of the activities that you would engage in in a public school or a charter school or even a private school just don't occur. And you're left with nothing but good teaching and solid learning. And Can you give an example? Because I'm thinking, okay, science class, normally so we take I like will say microscopes. That science and how, how do you do that? Like, well, I, So one of the good things about uh, the nonprofit where I taught was – that they just said you have to align your whatever curriculum you use. We'll leave it completely up to you. There's a great deal of autonomy. It just has to fit into the mass frameworks. Standards. Mm -hmm. And that was a long time ago, clearly, because it wasn't Common Core then. Um, But that left me a lot of flexibility so I could choose biology or earth and space science or geology. or I mean, there were lots and lots of things to choose from. Mm -hmm. So I I chose earth and space science because so much of that can be done without specialized equipment. Um, There was, I wanted to do a scaling activity where the students would be able to sort of experience um, how big the solar system is by making a model themselves. Mm -hmm. So we had to use like a grain of sand and place it next to a basketball and that kind of thing. And then the students became the other planets. (laughs) But that meant we had to go outside. And what that meant for me and as a teacher and an aspiring administrator was that I had to work with the residential administration staff to get an extra – an extra residential staff person in the classroom on that day because we had to transport the kids outside, which meant they had to go through two locked doors Mm -hmm. and we had to have two staff standing out by the fence because the range of 
where the basketball, which was the sun, and uh, the basketball stayed in my classroom. And the furthest person who was the planet Pluto back when Pluto was still a planet was about uh, 220 yards away, I think, was the way I had the students do the math to scale it. And so having all of those um, complexities isn't always something you think about in a, a traditional environment. You just take your kids outside and you they've already done their calculations and you send them down the field and you don't have to yeah, have someone no, watching. Yeah, no, I don't have to call room. in extra staff and pay overtime. And um, was that still effective? You think in teaching the in kids that way? were blown away. In so first lesson. of all, they had never. Most of them had never done math in a science class oh, because wow. again, they hadn't been participating in education since maybe fourth, fifth, sixth grade. Um. So they hadn't done math in a science class, or at least from their perspective, they hadn't. And for them to do something that was hands-on and fun and got outside and was part of school, oh my gosh. I, they, th- Their perspective really was, wow, I didn't know that school could be like that. So, you know, it is, there is that simplicity of just like I said, teaching and learning and those truly matched expectations between student and teacher, but it does come with its own set of drawbacks. I couldn't have microscopes. I couldn't bring in uh, rock samples for students to examine because they would be potential weapons. We couldn't do a lot with, uh, for example, compasses you know they have a sure. pointy yeah, yeah. they have a very sharp pointy thing you can't have that that's rulers, a weapon protractors. Uh, no rulers no yeah. protractors because you can slice someone with calculators those. computers no uh we did have computers and we had very slow internet and i had my students do a research project that in a normal or average or you know public school might have taken two days in a two 90-minute blocks. And it took my students about two and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I still have those projects. I keep them really? in a folder and awesome. I go back and visit. They're not all at grade level. This was a 10th or sure. 11th grade uh, class. But for these kids, it was their best work. And they were so proud yeah of what they could do because I allowed them the flexibility to be able to. And they had not been afforded that before, or maybe they had, but they hadn't recognized it. They probably were used to being failures. They probably were used to being unsuccessful. They were definitely used to being absent. They probably had heard over and over, you can't or you're never gonna. I mean, these are all hurtful, awful phrases. And if you hear it enough, you're probably going to believe it. And so the the most effective teachers that we had at our campus were the ones who looked at these kids, refused to be afraid because, I mean, I've got security staff in the room and they were shooting cops. I'm not a cop. They don't see me as a threat. And because of that and because of those um, more simple agendas, you will learn and I will teach 
there was no reason for me not to allow them that opportunity. And if there were administrative uh, challenges or barriers in the way, I would tell them that is my job to take care of. I will take care of it or we'll find something else to do. Mm-hmm. Your job is to meet my expectations, period. And they did. And it was amazing. And that, I think, was what for me made working in that environment so rewarding and fulfilling. So I've had two students so far who finished their GEDs. Congratulations. All right. Thank you. With one of them, I was only there for the end. But with the other, I helped him through all the subject tests. Um, And I think that's one of the biggest differences between between, um, what I'm hearing from Rachel is just that since I'm in a classroom where the goal is sort of unfortunately teaching for the test, I have a lot of freedom, um, but there are a lot of things we don't do. So there are are a lot of projects we don't do. There are a lot of things I can't bring into the classroom that's the same. But luckily, um, and I'm going to brag about the Travis County system just a little bit here, um, the the supervisor at Gardner Betts, Nathaniel Whitfield, is um, really, really awesome and um, hooks these kids up with a lot of different programs as well. So I don't do a lot of hands-on science work with them. When we do it, we do um, mostly concepts right mm-hmm. science concepts for the ged right. it's basically a reading they test. gotta read and answer questions yeah. um but i will talk about that a little bit more later because i've found that that has actually been been really successful um anyways the more of the hands-on stuff comes when mr whitfield can get them into um robotics classes that they oh, get wow. to take in addition to the ged classroom so yeah, then they yeah. then they get those classes that they're taking during the week um there are computer classes that they take some of them are software but some of them are hardware like engine repair and then computer repair and so they really get to take these things apart oh. and learn how they work and they love those classes the hands-on ones where they get to break things yeah, and put yeah. them back together <laughs> they they get really excited for those and he puts them in there Basically, you know, as soon as he can, um, a lot of them can go on to take community college classes as well at the same time that they're still um, residents. And then um, in my classroom, since it's mostly conceptual, the way I tried to get them excited about it was um, showing them that in my classroom, they could actually choose whatever we would talk about. So I had like, you know, the test skills that they had to learn Ah, or the main concept, and then they could choose any sort of subject for me to focus on. So for a long time, we did just animals, all kinds of stuff about animals. (laughs) We used animals to learn about muscles and skeletons and cells and everything. But then we learned about food chains and we, you know, and we could use any kind of, they would choose a specific animal. We want to talk about sharks, you know, and one week it was, we all want to get really tough. So we've got to talk about how you get a six pack. So we would talk about calories, <laughs> but it was really fun for me too, because then it was really this sort of engagement together. Where I was like, look, I have to teach you these things, but you know, I have the freedom to do it however I want. So you tell me what you want to learn about, you know, and, um, and they got into that. They really, they really appreciated being able to choose to a certain extent. It's like a game. It yeah, like. it was, it was. And that's what it was. They were learning, you know, they, they were trying to see if they could get away with something. Um, you know, would I, would I somehow end up not teaching them any of the stuff I was oh, supposed okay. to, right? Okay. It never happened. <laughs> I, I managed to teach them no matter what, but, but it was fun. And then they would get into it and then they actually had questions and that they would stay involved um and that was um that was that was a really good experience um last semester we were doing more science because i had a few who were near the end of their subject tests right now we're mostly working on math 
um, because I have a few who, well, I have four who need to, to, to finish their, their math tests. So we've been doing a lot of math lately. Um, and they do have calculators and we do have computers and they love using the computers. They always want to use the computers. They get to use Khan Academy. Okay. And something about, about again, just the one-on-one, that they get to choose whatever it is and that, that it responds yeah. and we just make sure. And they can't, I mean, they can't access anything else, but they they love that. They could do that, I don't know, for hours. It's amazing. That is interesting. I, I have to keep on reminding myself that you're teaching kids, basically, so they're used to the internet probably and Khan Academy type stuff, right? Or no? I think some of some of mine, you know, miss having computer access right and so it's it's monitored pretty strictly um but they they were using it at AISD if they were at AISD and then a lot of them who come into my class transfer they're the first thing that happens when they come into the system is they go into the AISD day classes that are at Gardner Bet so there are a lot of students who are taking regular high school classes at the detention center actually just down the hall from me right um but then their teams decide whether or not that's best they have a team of caseworker, counselor, Mr. Whitfield is involved, um, and then other staff. And somehow they magically end up in my class. I usually don't find out until shortly before they end up. I just sort of find out the day before or that day you're getting a new student. And so then we have to figure out what we're going to work on, you know? I like how, um, I guess, your students together with you, you decide what they're going to learn. How much choice do you have in the environment like the computers that are available or if you can bring props or if they can go outside to do some kind of special activity do you have a lot of freedom in that respect so in my situation i think getting them outside would be really tough but i have a lot of freedom otherwise the materials that we use all stay in the classroom the computers and the textbooks um so that's all pretty much up to me um and and the staff i also always have a staff member and um and more bragging. They've been really great. They're really supportive. I was nervous about that. That was new to me, having yeah. another adult in the classroom all the time, just sort of watching. But um, but it's been really great for the learning atmosphere, too, because they usually have a really good relationship with the students. Sometimes it's really strict. Sometimes it's much more playful. Mm-hmm. And it's been neat to see all of those. That's something I didn't know before working in this institution, that, that there were so many people who could relate to the children or the students in so many levels. In positive ways. I don't know. It's been very interesting. Cool. So, Casino, you said that you did have limited teaching experience before, um, but do you think that anything you've done uh, in the institution that 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 applies to outside, like in public schools in general, or are there any skills or, or tips and tricks that you think other people should know about based on your experience? I think I never realized how much what seems like a difficult or disruptive or even sort of like rebellious behavior is, I guess, sort of to use the cliche, a call for attention. I mean, what I've found out in the institution is just how much these kids want someone to sit there and care and be patient and, and, and have that sort of playful back and forth. I mean, that you would expect from a parent or a guardian or somebody who would just mm-hmm. continue to believe in you and continue to force you to do the good, boring thing. Open up the math book. You are going to do it. <laughs> Rachel, do you have anything that, that helped you when you went off to teach in other places? Um, well, I think working in a place where, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm small. I'm short, right? And these boys were mostly big, big boys. Um, and knowing that I could just walk into a classroom 
and still manage to earn their actual respect, which is really difficult from kids who run their own lives and live sort of a street life, earning their respect is incredibly hard. And when you don't, it is beyond apparent and it actually becomes a problem. And understanding that I was capable of doing that without needing to, as they would say, force it, I could just be a good teacher and a good person. And that was enough. And that was fine. Um, really has helped me out. Um, when I moved back into public schools, um, because you still have kids who are in charge of their younger brothers and sisters, or they're in charge of cousins, or they might be transitional or homeless. And they're trying to manage their own life. They don't need to be bossed by an adult, you know, and understanding how to talk to them, how to care for them, how to still continue to teach and guide them really has been super helpful. Um, I think it's made me a better teacher, but it's also just made me a better person. God bless those boys. They are pretty great. They are. They're good kids. They are. I've, I, I really, mean, I know, did not. <laughs> they're not always good people, but yeah. they're good kids. They're, yeah, I always say, you know, I mean, I know that they're in there for a reason, for good reasons. Yes. But I did not expect them to be so funny or so likable, you know, that and I, I would, vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Vulnerable for sure. Um, and I think, I think Rachel's absolutely right that it, um, it's very rewarding every day. It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's sad at times, right? I don't, I, in my position, I don't know anything about exactly why they've ended up with me at mm-hmm. Gardner Betts. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I, I like it that way. But whenever I do learn things, you know, it's always sad. It's never, it's never good stuff right. that I learn. No. Um, and, but we still have, you know, we have a good time in the classroom. We really do. Uh, in general, you know, we have tough days, but I, I would say that we have a lot of fun together. And I think, I think they would never admit it. They would never admit that they really like it. But, but, um, but I think sometimes like we had spring break and I, I feel like Monday when we got back, was one of the easiest days I've ever had with them because I think they were all pretty glad to be back mm-hmm. in the classroom. Yeah. Yeah, they get bored. Yeah. And um, like our kids, one of the sanctions that they could face was missing school. And they, I mean, no, they would turn their act around right then and there yeah. if they thought that they would miss school because otherwise they sit in their room locked in all day. And so, no, they would rather be in school, even with a mean teacher with high expectations who makes them do stuff. And what I was going to say, Casina, is so not too long um, after I left that position in Massachusetts or in Boston, I actually saw one of my kids outside of the facility. He had been released. Uh, he had completed his um, transitional care and he was working at a Target. And I, when I ran into him, he was actually on the phone with his girlfriend. And he was like, Miss Rachel, Miss <laughs> Rachel, hold on, baby. Wait, I got to tell you, I just ran into, remember that science teacher I was telling you about? She's standing here. And he went into a whole thing about how he had never understood 
the different like phases of the moon and how big the solar system was. He was in on, on that activity. And he said, you're the only teacher that ever really liked teaching me. And I swear to God, I sat right down in the middle of Target and bawled my eyes out because this is a kid who there are people in society who would say he's a criminal, he's no good, lock him up, you know, so on and so forth. But for a kid to be that enthusiastic over, you know, six weeks worth of science lessons, mm -mm, those people are wrong and there is something there. And so when you, when you run into those kids later and you say, Oh, they'll never admit it, never admit that they enjoyed being with you and their time with you. Yeah, they will. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll be on the phone with somebody and it'll be <laughs> fantastic. What do juvenile detention centers or treatment facilities or prisons need to better educate or teach their students? What would you need to better teach? This is probably a cop out because the real answer would be we just need um, we need these students not to end up in the juvenile detention center. And from what I can tell, so much of it is that they didn't they couldn't stick with school before. If they if they had been able to stay in school before, they'd still be there, right? They wouldn't have wound up in the juvenile detention center. I mean, more teachers would be great, but more teachers outside who, you know, who care about them and who have the time and the patience when they are small, but still, but already probably difficult and disruptive. And most of mine have been labeled special needs. You know, if they, if they could get more of those needs met, I feel like they wouldn't have left school in the first place. Yeah. I think I would say, Anything that is preventive, but I would also say that we need adults to adjust their thinking and their behavior. Um, that just because you were raised a certain way or you were taught a certain thing or, you know, that you believe a certain set of principles does not mean, uh, that these kids ended up where they're at, uh, because they deserve it. And it's important to, if you want to stop the cycle and you want to not quote, use your tax dollars to, you know, whatever, blah, blah, prison people, something, something, um, then you as an adult need to do the kinds of things that are necessary to either prevent it from occurring or take care of it in the moment so that it does not keep continuing in the future. Which is probably harder because I'm asking adults to change their minds. And with that, I want to say thank you so much to Casina and to Rachel. Casina, it was great to meet you. It was great meeting you too. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for being on the podcast. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again to Rachel and to Casina for talking about their experiences. For more on the topics related to the conversation today, read this episode's show notes and click on some of the links. You can also find these notes and transcripts at the podcast website, k12engineering.net. What did you think about the show? 
email me. Write a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be really helpful. Or tweet the show on Twitter, at K12Engineering. Or tweet me or Rachel directly. There's also a Facebook page for the podcast that you can follow, which is great for those of you not yet freaked out by this incredible monster that we as a society have engineered called social media. You can learn more about connecting with us at the podcast website, k12engineering.net. Our closing music is from the song Yes And by Steve Combs, used under a Creative Commons attribution license. The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is a production of my independent studio, Pios Labs, in Austin, Texas. If you like the show, please let me know by donating a dollar on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Pios Labs, that's Pios with an O, to donate. Thank you to all the current donors on Patreon. It's covering hosting and equipment costs this year, so that's awesome. Thank you, listener, for thinking about education, engineering, and everything in between. Listen in again next time.